uh, it's like there's a, I don't know if re-education is the right word, Uh, some people say reformation, but but God is bringing bringing us into a, a proper understanding and revelation of the church, amen, and of the gospel, and if we don't have this, um, there are great consequences as a result. And we're seeing the consequences of these things throughout our culture and throughout our society. And it is the place of the church to proclaim truth, to stand up for the truth. God has entrusted to His church, to His body, the Word of God. And we have been placed in the earth to make His truth known. And Remember, truth isn't just a doctrine or a set of rules or a belief system. Truth is a person. And what truth we're making known is Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the church, we're not just talking about an institution or a club. or We're talking about the body of Christ. And so with that understanding, tonight specifically we're going to talk about the corporate witness of the church. Last week I kind of gave you an introduction and we talked about, and I looked at really four specific scriptures. You know, the first scripture was Matthew 16 that dealt with the promise that Jesus made that his church would be victorious. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. And so Jesus made a promise that his church would be built. It would be victorious, and he has ensured and already provided that victory. The next scripture we looked at was Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, it's, it's the scripture that Jesus talks about the offended brother. If your brother sins against you, go to him. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't hear you, take one or two more, go to him again. If he doesn't hear you that second time, then go to the church. And if he will not hear the church, and when Jesus uses that word church, it's the second time that he uses that word. The first time that's recorded in scripture is in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church. And he said, if he doesn't hear the church, then he is to be to you a tax collector and a heathen. And then Jesus said something interesting. He said, I give you the power. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The very same statement he makes in Matthew 16, 18 when he says, I will build my church and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It talks about the authority that the apostles had to establish the church and the truth of the church that it would be that it would not only be founded on, but that it would represent. Remember Paul told Timothy, he said, the church of the living God, who is the, that which is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.16. And so, we looked at this, and then, then we went to uh, Hebrews 10.24, which says in 10.25, which talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And why is that? Because the assembling together is the it is a witness. It is the corporate witness of who Christ is. It is the witness of his redemptive work. It is the it's the witness of all that he promised, all that was prophesied and all that was fulfilled and is being fulfilled through his body in the earth the church. 
And so it's very important for us to understand why we are not only commanded, but we should find great joy in coming together and assembling together and gathering as the body of Christ. So we're gonna, tonight we're specifically going to talk about the corporate witness. The church is the corporate witness of Christ in the earth. Individualism is contrary to this corporate witness. It's like a cancer. Uh, if you think about it, remember I told you over the Christmas holidays, I kind of spent a little time watching uh, Christian TV that I don't normally do, and and, and, and everything that's pr being preached and taught, I, don't, I shouldn't say everything, that's painting with a real broad brush. But I'm telling you, more than not, most things that are being taught there go directly to the individual. How I can have a better life, how I can be more prosperous, how I can be more happy, how I can have more peace. It's all about I, 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 me, 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 me. And that concentration on I and me causes me to be myopic. That means that my, my view and my focus is narrowed down. I lose sight of all of you and I'm only focused on what God is going to do for me. And the promises of God, the scripture becomes a book that is written and addressed to me so that I can claim its promises and I can benefit personally and individually. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want you to benefit personally and individually, but I want you to understand that this scripture was not given and was not written for you individually to do anything. This scripture is written and given so that there can be an expression of the body of Christ, the reality of Christ in the earth. You as an individual are part of that reality. You're part of that body if you have been born again and you have come into Christ. But the promises of this book are given to you in that context that you are a part, a member of the whole. And the promise is made to the whole, not just to the part. Amen? As a matter of fact, it's very, very plain in Scripture uh, that Christ did not die to build individuals. He died to build the church. The church is comprised of individuals, but if we lose sight of the fact that he died to build the church, he did not die just for me. I, I've used to say this, and I'm going to tell you, I used to tell people, if you were the only person on earth, Christ would have died for you. Do you know, I don't believe that's true. Because God made sure you were not the only person on earth. Because if I only have a finger, do I have a body? No. If I only have a hand, do I have a body? No. God made sure you were not the only person because what Christ did in creation, what he did in redemption, was to establish a body. Not a finger, not a toe, not an elbow, not a knee. And the reason you're here and I'm here is because God has purposed from before time began that he would have a corporate, an expression in the earth called the body of Christ, his body. And that's why the promises of this book are made to the body, the church, because that is his plan and that is his purpose. Amen? So let's talk about corporate versus individual. Every command, and I want you to think about this, and you can go through your Bible. Every command 
given to the church by Jesus is given for a people functioning corporately and faithfully. Amen? The Great Commission, go into all the world. Yes, he spoke that to individuals, but I'm telling you, that was a commission and a command to the church. The assembling of the saints does not take place to allow the body to come together and function as one. We're not here tonight so that all of us as individuals can come together and function as one. And now that we're here, we can become one. Mm -mm. The assembling of the saints takes place because the body is one. We're here not to become one. We're here because we are one. We're not coming here to function as one. We're, we're, we're here assembled because we are one. And the fact that we are assembled together, that is the manifestation or the expression of that reality. So the assembling of the saints takes place because the body is one. And our coming together is the functional expression of that reality. Just like my body... Moving and working together, functioning together right now, is the expression of the reality that I have a body. Now, I didn't wake up this morning and decide to get all my body parts together and put them together in one so that they could function today. And then when I go home tonight, I'm going to let them all do their thing and they're going to go to the various corners of my house and property and do what they want to do. But then when it's time for us to come together again, I'm going to call them, Come on, boys! And they're going to all come together and we're going to join as one so we can come here and function together as one. But yet that's our mentality when we think about the body of Christ. We think we're all going to come to church and while we're here we're going to be one and function together as one. But when we leave here we're going to all go do our separate things. That's as foolish as saying that when I go home tonight my body is going to disassemble itself and go do whatever it wants to do. And, and then when I decide that it needs to function or should function as one then I'll call it back together. That would be foolishness. That doesn't even make sense. That is contrary to everything that is the created order of God. Yet that is exactly the way we look at the church. It's exactly the way we think of the church. We don't think of ourselves as one that is part of the whole, functioning in the whole, through the life of the whole. We think we're a part and, and this is our appointed time to come together. See, we, we come together. We're here tonight because we are one. Just like I'm able to function because my body is one. And because it is, you are able to see the expression of that function manifest before your eyes. We come together because we are one. And the fact that we are together is the expression, the manifestation of the reality that we are one in Christ. We've got to get this revelation and understanding so in other words we don't assemble to become one we assemble because we are one and there is a difference there's a huge difference a lot of people say well I'm going to assemble because you know I'm, I'm in trouble I need help I, I I'm having a rough time and people tell me this all the time man I need to get back in church I'm telling you what since I got out of church my life's just gone downhill and and I know uh, God's just sending a message to me and I need to get back in church and get back in fellowship they're, they're living out of the complete, total, wrong reality. 
They don't understand even what they're saying. And so this is what the Spirit of God is doing. He wants to bring the proper understanding, the proper comprehension, the revelation of what it means to be the body of Christ. We are called to do nothing. Remember Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do some things, a few things, nothing. No thing. So we're called to do nothing apart from the body. For such would be a calling apart from Christ himself. See, my hand, your hand, your feet, your toes, your fingers, it can't function apart from your body. And to think that I can function apart from the body is foolishness. There's not anything that we're called to do that we're called apart from the body. Because that would be a calling apart from Christ himself. And Christ will not allow his body to be divided and mutilated. He's not going to do it. So the corporate understanding that scripture communicates does not diminish It doesn't diminish, it does not exclude our individual faithfulness or our individual spirituality or our individual experiences. It doesn't exclude that. It doesn't diminish that. As a matter of fact, if we're not faithful individually, how can there be a faithful corporate expression? If my hand, as an individual part of my body, doesn't work in concert functioning with my body, then then it affects the function of my whole body, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And the same is with us. So the corporate understanding that Scripture communicates doesn't diminish or exclude individual faithfulness, but it requires it. The corporate body cannot function apart from the individual, but the individual can choose to function apart from the corporate body. People tell me all the time, well, you know, I'm not going to church anymore because I'm just doing my own thing with God. But I still love God. And I don't doubt that they do love God. But they have a gross misunderstanding of what it means to be the church and what it means to be part of the body and what Christ himself desires for his body. Remember last week I told you about this little book that Caleb gave me, and there was, a, there was a really good little analogy in this book. Doug Wilson says, you cannot make a good omelet with rotten eggs. Would you guys agree? I mean, if, 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 if I was going to make you an omelet, and you came to my house, and I said, well, i got a dozen rotten eggs here. You want me to whip you up an omelet real quick? You'd say, oh, I don't think so. Can't make a good omelet with rotten eggs, can you? But listen, in... All the eggs in the world do not necessitate that someone make an omelet. Do you you hear that? It takes individual eggs to make an omelet. And when you put those individual eggs together in the bowl and whip them up, they're not individual eggs anymore, are they? They're one big bowl of eggs you can make an omelet out of. But if you never take any of those individual eggs and put them together, you'll never get an omelet. We're called to come together as one. If we choose to live apart, function apart, it's only only really in our mind. If we're truly part of the body of Christ, we can't function apart. We can't. It's impossible. But if we don't get the revelation of it, then there is a disconnect in my mind with the reality 
of who I am in Christ. This is why the scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider one another, provoking one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So there can be no corporate faithfulness apart from individual faithfulness. There it, therefore, it's imperative. It's so vital that we get this revelation. It's imperative that as individuals we come to know and experience the vital reality. You know what that word vital means? It means pertaining to life. In a hospital, when you're in a critical care unit that got you hooked up, and they're monitoring your vital signs, your signs of life. This is a vital reality. The reality of who we are in Christ is vital. It pertains to our life. It's, a, it's an indicator of our life. And if we don't get an understanding and a revelation of this vital reality... then there's going to be a disconnect. We have to come to know and experience the vital reality of our corporate life in Christ. Amen? For many, many decades now, I believe the church has made a horrible error. Because, and here's why. For centuries, the Catholic church, and I'm not picking on Catholics, it's just history, it's a fact. I mean, from the dark ages on, Catholic Church would, would kill, burn at the stake, persecute the men who tried to translate the scriptures into, into the common language. Men like Wycliffe, the, the Wycliffe Bible translators, the people, it's an organization that translates the scriptures into to, to all the languages. They're, they're trying to translate them to every known language on earth. It's named after Wycliffe because Wycliffe was the guy who wanted to translate the Bible from Latin into English. So that the people could understand it. He wanted to educate the people so that they could read the scripture. And you know what the church did to him? They burned him at the stake. They killed him. Simply because he wanted to get Bibles into the hands of people. And so the church for centuries not only did not encourage but denied people access to the scriptures. And as a result of that, as a result of that, we have come to a place in our Christianity that we talk about a personal, having a personal relationship with Jesus. Because people for centuries sat in churches in dead, dry religion and were never able to know anything of the Lord, were never able to experience anything of the Lord because people would not teach them to, would not encourage them to read the scripture, to know the scripture. For many centuries, they weren't able to. And so we come into the modern era and we come into to this uh, movement now where, where we want to encourage everyone to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And we should have a personal relationship with Jesus, but not at the expense and not at the exclusion of the corporate reality that we are the body of Christ. 
See, if Jesus is only my personal Savior, and it's just me and Jesus, and who cares about everybody else, and I know I'm going to heaven and forget about everybody else, I have missed the entire reason and purpose and reality of what Christ did on the cross. When he went to that cross, he birthed the church. He didn't just save individuals. He birthed the church, and in birthing the church, individuals must be saved. But he did not die on the cross to save individuals. He died on the cross to birth the church. And we've got to see that our salvation is something greater than my individual experience with God. My salvation is a part of a whole. It is a part of an expression, a corporate expression, declaring and witnessing to the world There is a risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am the witness to that in the world. Not individually, but corporately. Remember, it takes individual eggs to make an omelet. But if the eggs individually stay in the carton, they will never make an omelet. If all you do is live on this earth and have an individual experience with Jesus and you never get a revelation of what it means to be part of the corporate body, You will live. You may die and go to heaven one day. I don't doubt that. But you're not going to fulfill what God really wants you to fulfill in being a part of the body of Christ. And you will not communicate that and witness that to other people. So we perpetuate this individualism that causes churches to divide over the drop of a hat. That causes us to break friendship and break fellowship over trivial in stupid things because we don't have a sense of the greater purpose, the transcending purpose of the body. You would never, you would never just chop off a part of your body because it, it, it did something you didn't like or didn't function exactly the way you would want it to function. You'd never just amputate your hand or your foot because it wasn't working right. You would do what it would take to heal it and to restore it. because you Why wouldn't you just chop off your hand or your foot? Because you understand the value of your hand and the value of your foot. Without your hand and your foot, your body can't function properly. Why don't we get that understanding as individual members of the body that we are each very important to one another and to the functioning of the body? Not for me and not for you, but for Him and for His glory. Amen? So, corporate versus individual. Let's talk about public versus private. The scripture is clear from beginning to end. Public worship is to be preferred over private and spiritual exercises. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. Psalm 87, 2, verses 2 and 3. You can go there and read them with me. It says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling places of Jacob. What is that saying? What was the gate of Zion? It was the place where all men entered through. He said, I love the gates of Zion. Why? Because they represent the assembling and the gathering of all more than the dwelling places of Jacob. Does that mean he doesn't love the dwelling places of Jacob? That's not what he said. 
He said, I love the gates of Zion more. I love the gates of Zion more because in the gates of Zion, through the gates of Zion, come all the individuals that make the corporate expression, that give the corporate witness of the God of redemption. Amen? Psalms 95, 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship. Let us worship and bow down. Let us, do you see the plurality there? Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Let us worship. Let us kneel. Let us come. Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. It's an invitation. I'm going to magnify the Lord. Come with me. Let us together magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. Let us. Church, let us. As we individually stand in this place and worship, don't just think of yourself as an individual worshiping God. We are worshiping. It's us who are worshiping. We are bowing down. We are coming together. We are lifting our voices and our hearts and our hands before Him. It's not in me. It's in we that He finds His greatest joy. Do you see that? He loves me. He saved me. But He finds His greatest joy, not in me, but in we, in us. Because we represent His body. And apart from the we and the us, we are very limited in what we can do. Psalm 22. I will declare, verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Verse 25. My praise shall be of you in the great Assembly, I will pay my vows before those who fear Him. As we stand in this place and we sing our songs and we lift our hands, we offer up to Him the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to Him continually. We, before our brothers and before our sisters, offer our sacrifice to the Lord. He says, before them. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. I will offer sacrifice before those who fear him. I will offer the fruit of my lips as a sacrifice of praise before those who fear him. In the book of Revelation, called the Revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what that book is titled. We think that book is about all kinds of things that are going to happen in the last days. Listen, it may describe things that are going to happen, but that's not what the book is about. The title is very clear. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's not the revelation of the great war of Armageddon or the battle of Armageddon. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the mark of the beast. It's not the revelation of the, the judgments. It's not the revelation of any of those things. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why was that book written? It wasn't written to scare us. It wasn't written to, for us to rack our brains and trying to figure out whether a laser beam is going to come out of the mouth of Jesus or whether those things are helicopters or tanks or, or whatever. We've missed the entire point of the book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit titled the book. We need to remember that, and when we read it, we need to be concentrating more on getting a revelation of Jesus Christ than trying to figure out how it's all going to come down in the end. Because, honey, if we have a revelation of Jesus Christ, it doesn't really matter how it's all going to come down in the end, does it? If I have a revelation of Jesus Christ and I know who I am in Christ, and I know I'm part of His body, I don't care if the rapture happens before, during, or after. I don't even care whether it happens or not. I just know if I'm part of the body of Christ, I'm going to be taken care of. I don't have to fear a devil. I don't have to fear the Antichrist. I don't have to fear the mark of the beast. I don't have to fear any of that. If I have a revelation of Jesus Christ, I have no fear of anything that's in this Bible. But because we don't have a revelation of Jesus Christ, we read the very book that bears his name and tells us this book was written to reveal Christ to you. We read that book and we get scared to death. We, get, we, we divide over. Churches divide over whether we believe in a rapture or don't believe in a rapture. A pastor friend of mine visited this very church one time. This was several years ago. And he had just left his church. And he, he was in between churches and he came and visited. And he stood right back there. And he was telling me about a church he was visiting. And they let him guest preach a little bit. He said, brother, he said, do you know that those people, I found that those people don't even believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. He said, I can't preach there. He said, I'm not going to go to a church where they don't believe in the rapture. Well, I didn't tell him that if you ask me, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. I don't know how it's going to come down. I'm hoping the bus leaves before it gets bad, but if it doesn't, as long as I got a revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And you know what? It doesn't really matter. It's certainly not anything we should divide over. The book wasn't written for us to divide. See, that's, that's someone that does not have a revelation of the body. How in the world can you divide from your own body, from the body of Christ, over something as trivial as that? How can you do it? You can't. Not if you have a revelation of who He is, and not if you have a revelation of who you are in Him. And in that book that bears the name, the revelation of Jesus Christ, are pictures Many, as a matter of fact, every picture of worship in that book is a picture of public worship. It's a picture of corporate worship. There's one picture of private worship in that book. And do you know what happened? The person who fell on his knees to worship that angel was rebuked. He said, get off your knees and don't worship me. I am a fellow servant like you. Worship the Lamb. Every picture given to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ is a picture of public corporate worship. Why is that? Because Jesus died to establish his church. 
Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being brutally honest. I'm tired of hearing pastors and preachers get up and tell people, Jesus died so you could be a millionaire. Jesus died so you'd never have to be sick. Jesus died so you never have to live in lack or want. And if you're living in lack or want, and if you're sick, and if you got problems in life, you just don't have enough faith. Because Jesus died so that you don't have to live that way. Well, my prayer for those preachers and teachers is that they better get a revelation of Jesus Christ because they don't have one right now. Because what they're preaching and teaching is individualism. They're preaching a gospel that's centered all on me. And the gospel is not centered on me. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus and Him crucified so that I could be raised into the life of the Son and become one of many members that make up His body. And I become, in that corporate expression, the very witness of Christ in the earth. The very witness of His fullness in the earth. There's a reason why the pictures of worship overwhelmingly show us and speak of a public corporate assembly worshiping the one true God. Because there is something powerful in that. There is something that proclaims a reality that Jesus paid a very high price to bring about. It's not that there is no place for private or individual worship or spiritual exercises. There is and there should be. But we need to understand that those private or individual worship times, my Private time, my individual time, my alone time with God. And I spend a lot of time in the Word. I spend a lot of time by myself meditating on the Lord. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I need to understand that those, those things exist. The point of those private times are the maturing and the building up of the body in love so that there can be a corporate and public expression of Christ in the earth. When I'm alone in my office meditating or at home, whether I'm laying in my bed, driving in my car, sitting in my office, when I'm alone meditating on the Lord or studying Scripture, that is great. But if I never move beyond that, I will never become a witness. There's got to be an expression that the world sees, and it is the corporate, public expression of his body. Amen? Amen. Let me read a quote to you. It's from a book I read called, How the Irish Saved Civilization. And I love this quote. It's in the beginning of the book. It says, nothing that is worth doing. I want you to listen real close to the words of this theologian. He was a, he was a theologian who who was actually an American theologian who had a great impact on Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, ultimately died, was martyred for his faith in Nazi Germany. Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. 
Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. Those are pretty deep words. But when I read those words again, something on the inside of me about them rang so true. You know, I don't know about you. Some of you can relate. Some of you young people won't be able to relate. But believe it or not, I can remember. You know, I, I went with Victoria last week to the campus. I, I can remember my first day at the UT campus. And it was hard to believe that, that I was 21 one time, walking around that campus, getting ready to begin my three years of education there. And ultimately, I would get my degree and, and leave that place. And now I go back, how many years later is this? I go back, what, 30, how far? 36 years later. 36 years later, I go back. Is that right? Huh? Huh? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Math was never my strong suit. 84, 94, 2000, and 84, 94, 84, 94, 2004. That'd be 26. Thank you. Boy, I'm fixing to make myself older than I really am. Still a long time ago. But here's my point. The day I landed on that campus... I couldn't even imagine what my life would be like 26 years later. And here I am 26 years later, and it seems like life is accelerating every day. And this first statement, nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime, therefore we must be saved by hope. I believe that's true. See, we think that what we do, if we, just, if we think that what we're going to do is just in our lifetime then we're mistaken. What we do in our lifetime is not the end. It's a continuation. It's part of what God is doing. See, I'm not doing anything. It's God who wills and works in us, the Scripture says. And when we realize that we are a part of what He is doing, it delivers me from trying to figure out what I'm going to do and whether I'm going to achieve that in my lifetime or not. The reality is I will achieve what God has purposed for me to achieve in my lifetime. The greater my revelation of who He is, the greater my understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, to be controlled by, empowered by the Spirit of the living God who lives and bides on the inside of me, the greater my understanding and revelation that is, I believe the more God is able to do through my life. But the reality is, I will come and I will go and life will go on. You say, well, well, what if the Lord comes back before you die, Pastor? Well, that's fine. But what if He doesn't? What I'm saying is this. How are we living our lives? Are we living our lives in such a way that we are going to leave behind a legacy for those coming behind us? Do we see that what we're going to achieve in this lifetime is, is, is not something that is, we're going to do and that's going to be the end of it? The story continues. I'm a part of the story. You're a part of the story. But there has to be this understanding that whatever we do, we cannot do it alone. 
we are only a part of a whole. And love demands that I understand this. Therefore, we must be saved by love. Love demands my embrace of you and your embrace of me and our embrace of him and his embrace of us. Love demands that. Love demands that we resist the temptation to live and function apart from one another, apart from the body. Love demands that we resist the temptation of doing our own thing, of trying to accomplish our own goals and our own dreams and our own desires because the reality is if they're our own, they're worthless, useless, and will mean nothing. If they're His, they're invaluable and they mean everything. Love demands that we love as God does the gates of Zion. Why? Because they lead to the holy city He has chosen. They lead to the place that He has chosen for His name to dwell forever. The city that is the bride of the Lamb. The city that is the heavenly Jerusalem. The city that is the church of the firstborn. The city that is the body of Christ. The city that is the redeemed of the Lord. That city that is His victorious church. That's you. And that's me. If we're in Him. And the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Amen? Amen. The church, it is the corporate witness, it is the corporate expression of Jesus Christ. You, as an individual, have been made a part of that whole. Let us see ourselves for who we are and for who He is. Let us live to that end. Not for ourselves, not for our glory, not for our desires, not for our wants, but for His and for His glory. Amen? Worship team, you guys come on up. and. Uh,